things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy, coming at you as I love to do several times a week. Wherever you find your free podcast, you can find No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith here. Um, obviously, I'm on the road. I'm not in my usual confines, but nevertheless, I'm still coming to you thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. Also, gold is the silver bullet for protecting and building your wealth. Call my friends at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-257-3080. That's 866-257-3080. Or download your free investing kit by visiting them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. You know, <clears throat> before I go into my interview today, because... We got a movie, Sweetwater, coming out, and I got a special guest coming on that I'm looking forward to talking to and looking forward to all of you hearing from uh, because I think the story of Sweetwater, Sweetwater Clifton, I mean, obviously the first black player to ever sign a contract, an NBA contract. That's a very interesting and compelling story, and I'm going to look forward to having a conversation with somebody uh, who's playing in this movie, Sweetwater. But before then, obviously we have... The NBA playoffs set to begin this weekend. You didn't think I was going to forget about that, did you? Got to talk about that because that's on my mind. But even before I get to that, <clears throat> I wanted to transition because it's amazing sometimes the level of conflicting stories that take place. On one hand, we heard news just yesterday that the great Irvin Magic Johnson the greatest point guard in the history of basketball, most would say, although some would say Steph Curry in this day and age. Different reasons, of course, but that's a subject for another day. Greatest point guard level, five-time champion, greatest leader without question. That Magic Johnson has a minority stake in a group led by Josh Harris, who has a tentative non-exclusive agreement at this moment in time to buy the Washington commanders of the National Football League for $6.05 billion. Ladies and gentlemen, the significance of that to me, as it pertains to me bringing up Magic Johnson's name, is because, as is the case with the ownership group in Denver, where Condoleezza Rice is a part of that, former Secretary of State of the United States of America. Magic Johnson being a part of this group means that those black athletes in the National Football League and black folks in the United States of America is going to have representation in those rooms with NFL owners. 
Think Colin Kaepernick. Think so many different issues like the Rooney Rule, where you got to interview candidates before you hire somebody. You have to interview African-American candidates. Think about the trials and tribulations folks have had to go through. Even since the rule has been instituted since 2003. Think about the ordinate amount of coaches who've been bypassed, shunned aside, or in the case of the Houston Texans, getting fired after one year. David Culley and then Lovey Smith. But Nick Casario gets to keep his job as a GM with his feudal self. Ain't done a damn thing right, but keep getting several bites at the apple. While black coaches just come and go, even though the new one, D'Amico Ryans, former defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, I expect him to do a significantly better job. He's got a six-year contract agreement. He's going to be there for a while. The point is, when we talk about the National Football League, which, was, which is without question the most popular league in America, having black representation in that room, particularly considering the times that we've lived in, where Colin Kaepernick, the Colin Kaepernick situation came about and ultimately Trump was the president and ultimately, you know, the narrative was hijacked and it was turned into some issue of patriotism veering away from police brutality, which is what Colin Kaepernick was talking about. All of this stuff was happening. And the nation was divided. Because you had a lot of folks in white America that were speaking about patriotism or about the fact that they're tired of talking about racism. They just want to watch football. And you have black folks who were coming to the defense of Colin Kaepernick. And ultimately, Colin Kaepernick's never been back in the league. And you know what people thought about that. And they pointed to the absence of representation. Well, now this is a step and this is another step in that direction, addressing those concerns. Because I assure you, as somebody who personally knows Magic Johnson, who's personally friends with Magic Johnson, I promise you, Magic Johnson ain't going to be in those rooms and be quiet. I promise you, he's going to have something to say. I promise you that when he speaks, his voice will be heard. Make no mistake about it. So that's a beautiful thing. And it's something that I think that we all should celebrate. Especially folks in black America, assuming this deal is finalized. And the group led by Josh Harris, which includes Magic Johnson, becomes the new owners of the Washington Commanders of the National Football League. Here's the downside. Mikey Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, I barely heard about this kid because he is a kid. He's 18 years of age now. As an eighth grader, there's clips of him jumping over someone, putting the ball between his legs and giving you a Vince Carter style dunk as an eighth grader. And because he's been such a stellar athlete, such a sensational basketball player. He's been able to make money due to his name, image and likeness as a high schooler. As a high schooler. The lead says Mikey Williams, one of the best and highest paid high school hoop stars in the country. That's where it starts. He's out of San Diego, California. Reportedly arrested yesterday on melt on multiple felony assault charges. I don't know what happened. I don't know the details. 
I really, really don't. Trying to figure out how dude that just turned 18 is buying a 3,700 square foot home last summer. We can ask questions like where are the parents and all of this other stuff, but I'm not going to blame the parents. It's not that simple. In today's day and age, it's hard to raise a kid. I'm a daddy. I know this. You got people out here. Back then, it would take a community. It wasn't just your parents who raised you. The block raised you. The neighborhood raised you. People looked out for one another. That ain't the case now. It seems like everybody for themselves. And when I thought about Magic Johnson and the news about him and that group yesterday, and then I heard about Mikey Williams, two stories have it absolutely, absolutely, positively nothing to do with one another. I just found my, my heart aching. Because if you got five felony assault charges, chances are you might be going to prison. We don't know the details. Not going to get into the details because don't know them. But five felony assault charges. You 18 years of age. Why? You making money. Why? You have the ability to get out from under. A system that may have plagued you in your community and held you down. You got the ability to take care of your family. You're clearly a potential NBA prospect. You were known to be friends with Bronny James. I don't know any of that stuff. There's all that stuff that I just heard. But see, it elevates the importance of the Magic Johnson stories. That kid out of Flint, Michigan, who grew up poor who starred at Michigan State and ultimately became an NBA champion and a Hall of Fame and one of the greatest players in the history of the game, who ultimately became a pioneer in the world of business, positioning himself to do so much good in the world of business and to help so many others. Magic Johnson Theaters, his affiliation with Starbucks, the list goes on and on and on what this man has done. He's built over a $600 million business. That's the Magic Johnson I know. And when you think about what LeBron does in the world of business, what Kevin Durant does in the world of business, what Steph Curry's doing in the world of business, what Russell Westbrook is doing in the world of business, the list goes on and on and on. It started from somewhere. The great Isaiah Thomas and the things that he's done over the years in the world of business. Do you know that Isaiah Thomas at one point was the largest distributor? He owned a company that was the largest distributor of popcorn in the country. I mean, you just hear the brilliance and then you see the potential for the youth on the come up. And then you're wondering what the hell they're thinking. Mikey Williams. What are you thinking? I'm going to leave it at that because I don't know more details than that. And I'm not going to convict this brother in the court of public opinion. I'm more upset because he's found himself in this position where his life and his livelihood is in jeopardy. But I wish him nothing but the best and I hope he's going to be okay. And I hope that he's not guilty of what they are accusing him of and what they allege his crime to be. Let me get on out of here. Before I say this, before I get into this interview, you know, <clears throat> the first black player to sign a contract in the NBA was Sweetwater Clifton with the New York Knicks. Um, 
Forgive me, but it got me thinking about my Knicks. Because my Knicks play this weekend. And you know, <clears throat> while I was doing some television this morning, they posed a question to me. And I got this big smile over my face because I started fantasizing. And I said, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, who's got a chance to really, really make some noise, to really big up themselves, to really elevate their stature within the game. Who has a chance? And I saw people talking about Kendrick, per uh, 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 I'm sorry, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And people talking about James Harden. And people talking about Russell Westbrook. All true. Ladies and gentlemen, what if it's Jalen Brunson? What if Jalen Brunson beats the Cleveland Cavaliers? Let's not stop right there. What if Jalen Brunson and the Knicks beat the Cleveland Cavaliers and then go into the second round and beat Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. What if Jalen Brunson and the New York Knicks then end up against Boston or Philly and Julius Randle with Jalen Brunson with Emmanuel quickly and Barrett with Tibbs coaching them and Mitchell Robinson doing his job and everybody and Obi Toppin coming off the bench and Grimes hit shots. What, what if the New York Knicks go to the finals? What if they do it? Could you imagine anything bigger? If the New York Knicks with this bunch, knowing what was standing in their path, that it was Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown one minute. It was Anthony DeCoupo and, and Middleton and Drew Holiday the next. It was, it was Donovan Mitchell before that. What if Jalen Brunson, a reserve in Dallas, who the Mavs wouldn't even give $56 million to, who only got his shine because Luka Doncic got hurt, and he won the Utah series last year before helping Luca get them to the conference finals. Before leaving Dallas to come to New York City. What if Jalen Brunson leads the Knicks to the conference finals or the finals? I don't know of a story in the NBA that would be bigger than that. I don't know of a player whose career would benefit more over that. Because I got news for you. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving had chosen the Garden over Brooklyn, they'd both be billionaires. They'd both be billionaires. They messed up. They made the wrong choice. Jalen Brunson didn't do that. That's what I was thinking about when I thought about the Knicks. First black player to sign an NBA contract, signed it with the Knicks. Sweetwater was his name. That was his nickname, Sweetwater Clifton. There's a movie after him. It's coming out now, today. The actor in it, playing Sweetwater is Mr. Everett Osborne. He's up next. I wonder if he'll be wearing a Knicks uniform. <laughs>
about to find out. Back with Everett Osborne in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm incredibly excited to speak to my next guest on this podcast because he's an actor who will be seen in the feature film Sweetwater. He portrays Nat Sweetwater Clifton, one of the men who broke the NBA color barrier in 1950 and did it on my beloved New York Knicks. Please welcome to the No Mercy podcast, the one and only Everett Osborne. What's going on, man? How are you, man? How's everything? Stephen A., what's going on, man? Everything's great. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, please, man. The pleasure is all mine. Now, listen, you started acting from the time that you was four. I did my homework on you. You started acting from the time that you were four. But I got to ask you this. Considering the fact that you're playing Sweetwater Clifton, which essentially is the Jackie Robinson of basketball, what does it feel like for you when you hear people tell you that, that that's the character that you're playing, that's the significance of the character you're playing? I mean, it, first off, it's a complete honor. And then you realize it's a responsibility when, like you said, is he is the Jackie Robinson of, of basketball, but we haven't heard about him. So in my mind, as the actor, right, and this is the human being, I'm like, wow, okay, this is monumental. But there's going to be a whole host of people that haven't heard this. And then these kids growing up that love basketball, that love sports, the first time they see Nat Sweetwater Clifton is going to be through me. So mm. the huge responsibility to that, to his family, first and foremost. And then, man, the fun begins, right, of just going on this journey of what was it like during this time when there was no prerequisite, there was no point of reference. And now you create that mode, you break the mode, you break a color barrier, you break rules that were set in front of you. What does that feel like, man? That journey was magical, magical journey. How, how did you research for this project? I mean, so first and foremost, a real human, right? So I went straight to the facts, hit up Google, saw any interviews I could find, uh, saw any facts I could find, how he scored, what he did, where is he front? I mean, I just maniacally just researched. And Martin Gigi, who's the writer and the director, did a phenomenal job researching this, man. I mean, this script has been started since two, 28 years ago. So to think, I was two years old, when I first touched the basketball, he was building this script and his research was phenomenal. I mean, he went through the NBA vaults in New York. I mean, he picked up yellow pages and cold called Chuck Cooper's people. I mean, so the research that was done for this as the actor, I was already supported because through the script, it was built with truth, facts, authenticity. And I had to just do my extra work. And I found a couple of cool videos and stuff about Sweetwater and him actually talking himself and just did my own research from there. How, how hard was it for you to land this role? <sighs> you know, I mean, they say things in life, what's yours is already done, right? Um, I could say I landed the role in the audition when I did it, right? But that's not the truth. I mean, yeah. I've been preparing my whole life. You know, I've, I've been, like you said, I've been acting since the age of four. I, I was in training during that time. I just got back from playing professional basketball in Australia as well. Um, so I was prepared um, athletically and as an actor, man, on both ends of the spectrum. So when it came to me, I kind of just hopped right into the mode. So I, I wouldn't say it was difficult to actually get it. But man, the preparation of the, the year, yeah. grinding, trying to play pro, trying to book jobs as an actor. I mean, that was very treacherous for me. And that's where I learned you got to just endure to the end. Even when it's when you don't see a way out, even yeah. if you feel something deep down inside that you love and have a passion for something, you may not know what it's about, yeah. why you have it. But you have to keep pushing, man. And faith is going to always win. Love is going to always win the battle, man. And I think that's what happened. 
You know, the thing that made me smile is when I read about your background and I saw that, you know, obviously you played college, ball Division One scholarship. Obviously, you played overseas in Australia and stuff like that. I said, oh, so he could ball because you know this. You know this just as well as I do. There's been plenty of people who've, you know, forayed into acting and they've acted in sports movies or whatever. And one or two dribbles and you automatically know they, 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 they're not ball players. Yeah. They're not ball players. Yeah. Obviously that wasn't the case for you. Did you look at that, your basketball background as giving you a distinct advantage for this role? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, I put on the, the real Chuck Taylors. I'm doing dunks. Mm. I'm doing spin moves. I'm doing between the legs lefts. I'm doing jumpers. I mean, I think on my audition tape, I, I sent in, a video I made 10 threes in a row back to back. I mean, no cuts, no edit. And that transition right. is them to make it authentic. But to be honest, though, that's basketball in this day and age. Basketball in the 1950s is totally different. So as the actor, I can't bring my tendencies and use that as leisure to step into a, a new world that I haven't absorbed yet. So that was mm -hmm. the battle, right? Of the, the, the temptation of, okay, yeah, I yep. this. I play ball. Let me, this is easy for me. Well, no, it's not because. This wasn't during that time. So that was the battle I had to find and surrender myself to step into that world. You talk about the battles that you discovered as you were playing this role or whatever. The human side definitely comes into the equation. Once you shove aside the whole basketball skills, the basketball background, et cetera, I'm thinking that obviously if you're going to play a character from the early 1950s, obviously it has to replicate the times of the early 1950s. Mm -hmm. um, and considering that, what was that like for you to, to, you know, to be playing a character that had to experience racism, prejudice, et cetera, et cetera? What was that like for you? It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. It was eye-opening. I mean, because you, you start realizing uh, how far we've come, supposedly, but then you start seeing there's a through line of what happened then and what's still going on today. Uh, but the truth is, yeah, the time period was based on 1950, but for that human being, you got to go back to before, in 1922 when he's born, right? And then to see what life was like, you got the Great Depression. And then you see this person that put up 60 points in high school, couldn't go to college because he had to go to war. So now what was that like to, to fight for a country and put your dreams and yourself to the side of not playing college basketball to go serve, serve a country, fight for a democracy and freedom for everybody? And that changes you, right? I mean, that will equalize you um, to where even though racism is going on, when you get back, it doesn't matter if someone white is telling you you're not good enough for not doing this. Hey, I just fought with you guys. So I have a different perspective. I see things differently. So I think coming back into those racial situations in the 1950s, Sweetwater had a different perspective because he just came from a space where he was fighting for all people. So, yeah, he felt the racism. Yeah, he he felt that. And that wasn't easy. But I think he had a, a bigger vision beyond that. And he knew his value as just as a human uh, beyond what was being showed to him. I remember just seeing in the movie where they're talking, the owners are talking amongst themselves as to whether or not uh, they should allow African-American players into the league and the reticence, the hesitancy, uh, the resistance was because you were going to be too entertaining. Yeah. What was that like for you? Because, I mean, you, you would think, listen, entertainment sells. And we've always understood entertainment sells. If you're not entertained, why would you go watch a baseball game, a basketball game, a football game? Clearly, entertainment was obviously a, a, a gravitating force. Yet, when it came to Sweetwater Clifton, that was one of the things that people were resistant to. The fact that he might be too entertaining. Did that make sense? How did y'all make sense out of that as you were making, you know, building that scene for the movie? 
I mean, it doesn't make sense at all, right? I mean, but the truth exactly. is you don't know what you don't know. So you may think this is the standard of entertainment during this time, right? The two dribbles, the this, the simple movement, yep. right? I mean, even jazz during that time, it was a it was a certain type of jazz where they didn't weren't free, right? They were just playing just to entertain the dancers and everyone was stuck into a box. And then it transitioned mm-hmm. into more bebop and more freestyle and more flow and more expressive. Right. So it's the same thing kind of transitioned to entertainment across the board, even basketball. So I mean it was tough during that time when you feel like I can show all of these things inside of me. Right. I go play with my boys. I go play with the Globetrotters. And I know I have these skills that I've worked on, but now I can't express it. Like, what do you do when you feel like you have all of this wealth of of a gift, but there's no platform to express that? So that's frustrating, to be honest with you, man. But to think that there was other guys, right, that we play major roles. We got the Joe Lap Chicks by Jeremy Piven, who did a phenomenal job. Right. We got the characters, Nat Irish. I mean, these people that's in there played a major role to fighting for this change because they saw that it did sell tickets. So, I mean, it's very tough to think that it wasn't um, received during that time, but you see the moment it was, now we got guys. I mean, even Michael Jordan said, there's no Michael Jordan without Sweetwater. You got all you That's need right. is one athlete to inspire a nation. So it's, 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 it's inspiring to see how we push through that. You know, sports fans everywhere, uh, particularly the basketball fan, knows a lot about, Sweetwater Clifton, but the world knew about Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Not nearly as much about Sweetwater Clifton. Why do you think that is, particularly while taping this movie in the aftermath of having filmed this movie? What do you walk away with thinking about as to why he's so considerably lesser known than the great late Jackie Robinson? Well, all respect to Jackie Robinson, right? Um, during that time, MLB, the American sport, it already reached a certain plateau. I mean, the NBA started off as the BAA, right? Around the time, yep. 1947, maybe, right? Yeah, yes. that that's correct. And it merges, correct? So during that time, baseball is already, and during that time, Jackie Robinson already crossed the color line of MLB. They had fans coming in. I mean, the truth is, Stephen A., the Harlem Globetrotters introduced basketball to a lot of the world. A lot of kids grew up only knowing about them, right? Even other countries only knowing about them. And people would come fill out the arena for the Harlem Globe, try the games. Then once the game was over, the NBA teams would try to sneak in the arena and play their game just to keep the fans. I mean, right. that's the truth of it. That just shows you that the NBA then wasn't the NBA we know now. So on behalf of that, to answer your question, you have certain pioneers and trailblazers that helped build the league and bring those fans through the entertainment, the breaking news entertainment that we're talking about that Sweetwater brought to the game to flare the style that they've never seen before. He brings those fans in. Now the NBA is building on top of that and just building as they're going, trying to figure it out. I don't know if they know they're going to be the multi-billion dollar industry they are now. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I think that's how it happened. Sweetwater just got lost in the shuffle during that time with a lot of many other greats. Opposed to Jackie Robinson, MLB was already the MLB. Um, and it already had a structure that the NBA, to be quite frank with you, didn't have. And they didn't really honor those people during that time because it was a, more of a selfish intent, just business, trying mm-hmm. to make a better business. And Sweetwater fell in the mold with that. But thankfully now, April 14th, mm-hmm. we get an opportunity, man, to just bring truth to the forefront. I mean, one thing about truth is there's no time limit on truth. Right? It's always mm-hmm. a good time. Right about that. Right? Always a great Absol- time. Absolutely right about that. I'm talking right here to Everett Osborne right here with Stephen on this No Mercy podcast. You know, you played college ball. Remind my audience where you played college ball and how you ended up overseas in Australia. Well, I played college ball at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. That's in a WAC conference. 
Um, okay. Right after that, to be honest with you, I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. You know, you go through okay. politics for whatever reason. So I averaged maybe five points a game. So I did right. not have any offers to play overseas. So I had, a, mm-hmm. I had a whole year off waking up at 4.30 in the morning, going to work out. No options. No options at mm-hmm. all. I went on a mission trip to New Zealand, played with Athletes in Action over there. A coach saw me and I came back home. Worked, grinded it out. No options, no options. Got a phone call while playing in the NBA, while playing in the Drew League um, out here in L.A. And a coach from Australia said he was watching me the whole time. So I flew out there. And actually, during that time, I got put in the NBA G League draft 2017 by the wow. Canton Charge. Didn't go drafted because I didn't have an agent at all. So I went to Australia, killed it, and uh, was playing there for a few years. And COVID forced me to come home, man. And I found my true purpose has been here all along. So interesting. So when you uh, think about it, because you're talking about all of that basketball, but how much acting was you doing in the time? How much acting training or anything like that? What were you doing at that particular time as it pertained to the acting profession? Yeah, man. So once I once I graduated college and I didn't have the any op- opportunity, I mean, I went straight into full mode acting mode during that time while I was still waking up. So I wake up at 430 and then maybe by 11, 12 o'clock, I'm doing auditions. I'm training, I'm studying. So I've always had that duality of that world existing. When I went to Australia, I still was booking commercials. I'll never forget my coach that sent me out there. We eating dinner at his house. He's like, hey, yo, Evo. Like, that's what they call him. But hey, Evo, is that you on my camera screen, on my, on my TV? I'm like, yeah, that's me, coach. So when did you <laughs> So I always stayed on the craft, just to let you know, man. I always stayed on it, and the opportunity just presented itself. And like I said, I was prepared. I was ready for it. What do you think this role in this movie, Sweetwater, is going to do for your acting career? It's so hard to answer that, man. I think before I could give it, I can't put the cart before the horse, right? I mean, I think the first thing is that this thing gets released and people mm-hmm. need to receive this. And thank, by the grace of God, I was a vessel to usher in this giant, this usher in this pioneer, man. So, I mean, the first thing for me is just to be present in the moment and really have people receive this truth, receive this story. And I mean, like I said before, my formula don't change. I'm going to stay ready. I'm going to stay preparing. And we got a lot of different things we're looking at right now. But the first thing is just really allowing people to really receive this true story, man. I mean, we got a lot of great people that surrounded me with a cast, even though it's my first film leading role. We got Richard Dreyfuss, who's been here. St. Carey, Kevin Pollard. Jeremy Piven, has been here. Big no question. So we got a lot of great people to really push this story forward, man. And I mean, with God's grace, I think the sky's the limit. As a former athlete, and I'm not going to even say former because obviously you can still ball. And, you know, I got to ask you, when you look at today's climate as it pertains to the world of professional sports, professional basketball, to be specific, knowing through your studying what a Sweetwater Clifton endured in order to get to this point, uh, to, to be a Harlem Globetrotter and then to be in the NBA and to see what the NBA has materialized into a multi billion dollar conglomerate and the athletes that represent the sport and cover it. What are your thoughts about today's NBA? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Uh, wow. That's a, that's a great question, man. Um, well, I love how creative this game is, man. I mean, you got guys like Kyrie to talk about how he gets on the court and it's a canvas he paints every night. We see guys like LeBron doing things we've never seen before. So I think just to see how the game has changed on these shoulders of Sweetwater and guys like that, right, to actually be able to show your creativity in an unlimited mm-hmm. way is beautiful. Um, but then, like, I was just in All-Star Weekend, and we had a great, great weekend out there, right? But we talk about being competitive. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. I mean, I've, I've heard interviews of him talk about how the All-Star game should be very competitive. 
I mean, this is the moment where all fans pay to see the best on the court. It's the best pickup game yeah. ever. Let's compete. I mean, right. we had our celebrity also game. They said it was the most competitive event all weekend. No, no, no disrespect at all, but that's because what we right. that's what we brought to the game. So I think that could improve a little bit as far as just bringing that edge every game, every day. I mean, you got a lot of guys in the league that bring that, but during that time with Sweetwater and he was growing up, it wasn't about the money. See, we're playing yeah. something different. Every time we step on this court, it really means something beyond uh, anything that the world can offer you. This is our moment to prove, to mm-hmm. fight for the equality, to show value what we put our game in. Like, I am beyond equal. I may even be better, right? So when you try to suppress me, this is how I fight back. This is beyond just me. I'm fighting for a group here. So I think bringing that back to the the true game of basketball, which is the game we all love, that physicality, that that meaning beyond money, uh, I think uh, that can that can change a little bit. Well, listen, I think it could change a lot. I'm going to be more direct than you. It pisses me off what I'm seeing in today's generation only from this perspective. I have no problem with some folks thinking about economic empowerment, particularly if you're coming from the days of Sweetwater Clifton. You could go to the 70s. You could go to the 80s. I got no problems with it. But when you sign in nine for, for nine figures, okay, <laughs> for nine figures, um, you have achieved economic empowerment. Yeah. And, that point, and at that point in time, you shouldn't be in an NBA All-Star game playing less hard than you do in the summer league when you're working out. It, 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 I mean, simply working out, you and I both know this, simply working out on a basketball court in the offseason, you playing 10 times harder than what we saw All-Star weekend. That's what I'm saying. It's like, how could you allow the product to be diluted to that point? And that's what I'm, I'm actually hoping this movie does a great, great job of reminding folks of the path traveled to that level of success so guys that are already here in this day and age can appreciate it, realize it, and elevate and continue to elevate the value of the sport. Am I wrong in thinking like that? Man, you're a thousand percent right. I mean, that's the value of history. When you don't know your history, you're liable of, of being misled and going on the path you're not supposed to be on. So I think, like you said, bringing this film to the forefront, guys understanding what happened during this time, mm-hmm. I think it will ignite something deeper in them that, hey, this is bigger than what's been going on. Just through that awareness, is that's what this film is going to bring. Actually, I know that for a fact. So I'm looking forward to people feeling that, especially the guys in the league, the women playing the game of basketball, the kids coming up playing the game of basketball. Being aware of history, man, is pivotal. Uh, listen, and before I let you go, because I know you know your basketball, what are the Knicks going to do this year, man? <laughs> Just give it to me straight away. What are my New York Knicks going to do this year, man? I want to hear. I mean, you Sweetwater Clifton. I mean, come on now. I mean, t- tell me what the New York Knicks are going to do this year. There's no city like New York. I'm from Los Angeles, California, right? But there's no city like New York. So I think that's that's a place of all possibilities. So I can't think you can ever discredit uh, what New York could bring, what the people could bring. Uh, so I think uh, anything can happen. Anything can happen. That don't sound too damn confident. <laughs> I mean, you're not giving me, you're not giving me specific. That seems like a kind way of telling me my New York Knicks going home in the first round. That's what that sounds like to me, Everett. That's what that sounds like to me, you man. Know, I'm going to say they're not going home in the first round. I'm going to put that out there. They're not going home in the first round. So that would mean you think they gonna, they're going they're going to beat Donovan Mitchell, uh, Darius Garland, and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round. Well, because you said they're going to go home, I have to present the other option, right, which life already Okay, okay. I got to say that okay. they probably won't go home. Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to be mad about that. I'm going to be very, very happy about that. I can go to the Garden. I'd rather go there than to go to Cleveland. Let right. me be very, very clear about that. Right. Who you got coming out of the Eastern Conference this year? Oh, man, out of the East. 
Come on, man. This shouldn't be hard. This shouldn't be hard. You, 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 don't be scared to tell us what you think about basketball. You know the game now. This should be hard. Okay. You want, you, want, you want my honest opinion? Honest opinion. I always want honest opinions. Who you got coming out of the East? I haven't even been watching all of basketball because I've been so locked in on where we've been. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, someone's asking okay. me yesterday about uh, March Madness, who I got. And I'm like, honestly, I haven't even looked at my TV because I've been in so much grime. Right. My time has been so dedicated to scripts and film and stuff like that right now. So right. I haven't even been watching. Well, let me make you let me make you feel better about it. I have watched some of these games, and I don't know who the hell I'm picking. You see what I'm saying? I don't know, especially with March Madness. It's all a guess. It's all a guess. I had Duke and Indiana in the Final Four. They lost. They got knocked out. I got Alabama. Okay, Alabama's still alive at the okay. time we're talking right now. And UCLA in the NBA. It's going to come down to Milwaukee, Boston, or Philly. Right now, it looks like Milwaukee's going to come out of the East. We don't know who the hell's going to come out of the West because every time we turn around, somebody else is getting hurt. So we you don't know who's going to be available. Yeah, you know what? Let's, that was going to be my first point. Let's go with Milwaukee. You know, I got my guy Bobby Portis who's playing Earl Lloyd in the film. Did a okay. job. So let's go, let's go with uh, Milwaukee. All right. Well, you know, Earl, that's not bad. That's not bad. I give you that. Give me that. Look, man, I- I'm proud of you, man. Keep doing it. Keep doing your thing, man. This is only the beginning. The, the hardest step is always the first step. Once that first step is achieved, everything else flows from there, my brother. So I'm expecting good things from you in the near future, man. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much. I will see you that, Stephen A. Thank you. Appreciate no you. No doubt. All the best, bro. Thank you. Did you know that last year the S&P 500 went down 20%? Bitcoin went down almost 60%. But gold not only didn't lose money, but went up a few percentage points. So far this year, gold has been steadily rising and silver is up almost 30% in the last six months. Experts predict gold will continue to skyrocket this year and you don't want to miss out. That's because gold protects you from inflation and market volatility. Gold and silver should be a part of every balanced investment portfolio. Legacy Precious Metals is the company I trust when it comes to investing in precious metals. What I like about LPM is they have an education first approach. Making investing decisions can be overwhelming, but their team takes the time to answer all of your questions and give recommendations based on your personal situation. Call Legacy Precious Metals at 866-257-3080 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com to download your free investing guide. Don't leave your finances to chance. Be informed. Contact my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Thanks again to the wonderful Mr. Everett Osborne uh, Great talking to him, wishing him nothing but the breast Seems like he's got a bright future ahead of him uh, And like he said, he'll be watching some NBA basketball with me this weekend as well Okay? We gotta get on out of here Wishing him nothing but the best The movie Sweetwater, make sure everybody goes and sees it Me? I'm heading to watch the NBA playoffs. Orange and blue skies, baby. Orange and blue skies. That's what I'm about to do. Until next time, everybody. Peace and love. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.